Hello and welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Nick Wiltagen, and joining me today is none other than the nicest man you'll ever meet in the entire world. It's Terry DeFellin. I genuinely don't know how to respond to that. I'm not actually a nice man. Um, but uh, but but I am clearly a good friend to, to, to nice people, so I'll take that. Hello, Nick. How are you? Good, good. Well, the two of us, we are waiting for the world to return to normal. You young kids listening, you're probably sad because you cannot go to Ibiza and drown in cocaine and pass out at 40 degrees or get stoned in Paris, sip champagne and pass out at 40 degrees or whatever it is kids do these days for fun. I have two children. I'm over 30. I don't know what people do for fun anymore. But anyways, we actually do have a sort of a special show lined up for you today because we thought we might go for something really rather special for this midweek edition of the Bundesliga. We are going for the first Bundesliga conference. And Terry, you know what a conference is. Explain it rather quickly to the listeners. <laughs> it's, it's, where, it's where you cover all, all the, the games on a match day at the same time by going around the grounds and uh, getting updates uh, on the matches. Uh, it's a variation on that. It's not actually that, because this is a podcast. Yeah, so... What we're actually doing is we're going from podcaster and blogger to blogger or podcaster to podcaster and we're getting their take on all the different matches. So you'll be hearing a lot of different voices on the pod. Hope you enjoy it. So that's what it's all going to be about this week. And additionally, Rhys Tegwell will step by with another Rescued from Oblivion. Here we go with part one of the show. So, Terry DeFellin, we talked about what match we should watch together and what match did we end up picking? Uh, we made a mistake. We made we picked uh, Leipzig versus Union Berlin. Oh, it, it, it's not a mistake. It's not a big mistake. It's been a lively game of football, um, but it, it is, it's not the game we should have watched. Yeah, but... Before we get started with the match, we do have a bit of an update about what was said on the last episode. Some of you reacted to what was said about the incident involving Florian Hübner and Nadim Emiri. Well, let's not mince words here. I sort of put my foot in my mouth when I, when I used the phrase a lot of hell air, uh, which I shouldn't have done. What I meant to say is that there were things at the time that we didn't know and that we should wait for all details to emerge before we pass our final judgment. The reason why I wanted to say that is the fact that Union Berlin were very adamant when they disputed the fact that Florian Hübner uttered the phrase Scheiß Afghan, which means fucking Afghan. Again, uh, apologies for addressing such a sensitive topic in such a clumsy way. Having said that, there have been some developments uh, since last. Uh, Amiri's reaction to the matter have now come forward in the press as well. Uh, he apparently shared an Instagram story that his brother posted where his brother wrote about Hübner calling him a scheiß Afghaner. So now it's a case of the victim actually sharing the story, including those words, and not somebody... Jonathan Tarn, who's heard this from a teammate. So now we actually, I think we can now say that we know a little bit more about if those words were sad, Terry, don't we? Uh, yeah, well, there certainly uh, seems to be more of a groundswell of evidence as to what was actually said and that, that, that those words were actually said. I certainly feel that um, the, the best approach at this point would be, I think there needs to be some kind of investigation. Uh, I appreciate that, that there may be people listening who will feel that Amiri you know, sharing an Instagram post doesn't necessarily implicitly mean that he's endorsing what is being said or indeed that he thinks that, there's, that things should be taken further. But it's not always straightforward for people people to be able to speak their mind and put themselves forward at moments like this and, and I think that that's why you have to have you know a good a regulatory uh, framework in place where you as a matter of course investigate these matters and I think it's time that the DFB uh, held an investigation and tried to find out what happened. Well, as it turns out, they do. Uh, right now they're investigating both Florian Hübner and goalscorer Cedric Teuchert who got that uh, one goal against Bayer Leverkusen. As Bild is currently writing, uh, Teuchert is, under the in is currently investigated because he uttered the phrase, we are still in Germany, uh, chill out, uh, to Leon Bailly when he 
had a confrontation with him on the pitch, and then he uttered the same phrase, we are still in Germany, directed towards the buyer bench when they started to protest against the goal. This might not sound like a lot to go on for some people, but, you know, if you know some German, you know that this sort of attitude and this sort of way the sentence was presented by Teuchert actually was, you know, it, it spoke of German's superiority and it's apparently not something that the DFB or the DFL or Union Berlin themselves should stand for, is it? No, absolutely. That is uh, far uh, more uh, unambiguous. I think um, in so far as it's been picked up, it's clearly been heard. Uh, and yeah, as you said, I'm not a native speaking German myself and uh, I've not spent sufficient uh, uh, time in Germany to be able to have uh, the kind of ear for the for the nuances uh, of, of, of German racism. But certainly expressions like that are not uncommon uh, in, in England and, and they are they are usually regarded, I would say, as being racist and with racist intent. Uh, and so, yes, certainly this is that is something that does need to be investigated with the utmost seriousness and with the utmost urgency as well uh, and I would encourage I would hope that Union would take a, a moral position on this as well I think for the sake of their reputation well they were actually taking a moral position on Sebastian Polter not uh, agreeing to pay cut during the COVID-19 pandemic and they banned him from all first team training well this was over money which obviously is the most important thing within the world of football and uh, now we're talking about racism which uh, probably doesn't stack up compared to money uh, for, for some clubs. But what really strikes me as odd here is um, the defense that Union Berlin have put up for Florian Hübner, who, by the way, was on the pitch against Leipzig today, so was Cedric Teuchert, uh, because they are adamant that he didn't say those words, which, okay, fine, but first Jonathan Tarr wasn't there, but then you have Amiri, who shares the Instagram pro story, so you sort of have more and more evidence pointing towards those words actually having been said. And additionally, you have, uh, I think it was Oliver Runert uh, in a press conference, who then goes on saying that, um, you know, Florian Hübner, he isn't a racist guy. Oh, and here's the quote. Uh, the player currently has a girlfriend whose skin color is different than white. If that, I mean, that in itself cannot possibly mean that somebody who's dating some someone else who isn't of the same skin color as them couldn't racist come on yeah i mean we've we, we've heard these kind of things before it's it's in 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 england it's 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 a very very old expression just of of, of, the, of the of the racist person or someone accused of racism who says oh, i'm not racist some of my best friends are black and it, it's it doesn't work like that and 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 you know that we, that's generally speaking common knowledge it's not a great defense uh, i mean the, the best way i think in a situation like this is for a, a transparent investigation and to find out what happened and ideally i think it'd be best for for the people involved to maybe you know try and come forward and explain the situation a little bit more and try and get to the bottom of it quicker but uh, the, uh, you know the DFB have a responsibility now and and also so do Union to, to try and take some position here and get to the bottom of this as quickly as possible and find out what happened indeed suffice to say this story is going to stay with us for a little while longer let's turn to the match itself uh, it was a 1-0 win for RB Leipzig their favourites to win this match Emil Fosberg came onto the pitch scored the goal Leipzig were the superior side for those 90 minutes weren't they and uh, in the end they won a tight a hard fought match deservedly didn't they yeah, it's funny because you say it was hard fought and it was hard fought. I mean, like it was very, very spirited, particularly on, on, by both sides. Union, you know, did, I think on the, the, the all of the major metrics, Leipzig were were, were superior. Apart from the, the the amount of distance that was covered, Union were doing an awful lot of running around, doing an awful lot of chasing. But they couldn't really get any significant foothold on the game, unfortunately. Um, and Leipzig were, you know, evidently the, the better side. But I think actually the 1-0 result is reflective of the balance of the play to a certain degree um, because I think you know that Union you know they didn't deserve to get a beaten too much but at the same time there were a couple of quite bad misses weren't there 
There were, there were, and um, <laughs> I mean the, the the worst miss I uh, was actually by Leipzig player in the first half was it Mukiele or was it Mkuku? Um, it was Mkuku. Yeah, that was that miss by Mkuku, um, which you know when you see it was actually it looked like more like a rugby player going for a field goal, and uh, obviously when you know the the defender of the opposition comes towards you and gives you a pat pat on the shoulder, um, <laughs> you know you've, you you. You haven't you haven't uh, necessarily been able to to get the best of finishes towards goal, but you know having said that, I, th- I think we should turn to other matches now because there wasn't really an awful lot of exciting stuff going on on the pitch, was there? Uh, no, I mean I think probably for me the most exciting thing was watching Alexander Soloth just struggling again and again I mean he didn't miss a sitter by any means because it was a near post shot it was going to be difficult but I mean it was a it was again I mean it was a almost an air shot and it he completely sliced it and I'm afraid it's slightly indicative of you know that guy's start to uh, to, to life in Leipzig but you're right there are there are more important more interesting results to look at I think than this all right, uh, so let's get started with our conference uh, so let's turn to you Eric Brula who uh, most of you will, of course, know from the Neverkusen podcast. So, Eric, how important was this win? The game was on a nice edge when Florian Wirtz got the winning goal for Bayer, after all. Yeah, I don't think you can overstate the importance of the match. Uh, Bayer Leverkusen hadn't won a Bundesliga match since December against Cologne. So, um, you know, this was a while in coming. Uh, after the first half of many missed chances that we knew uh, we would potentially rue. Of course, Julian Brandt scores for the first time in over a year because Bayer Leverkusen loves to have ex-players score against them. But um, I think, you know, the second half of the match, which could have gone to either side, um, fortunately was uh, decided by arguably the best player on the pitch um, on Tuesday, Florian Wirtz. Uh, I think he and uh, actually Musa Diaby, the two goal scorers, were arguably the men of the match. And uh, obviously, Florian Wirtz, you can see the difference between a Bayer Leverkusen with Wirtz in it and uh, one without, uh, as we saw in the previous matches. Very important win this for Bayer, obviously. Uh, do you think that Bayer are now getting out of their lull? I mean, they had only taken one point from the last five matches going into this match. I do think Bayer Leverkusen um, has some momentum now after this match going into these matches against Wolfsburg, against Red Bull. Um, these are important uh, matches, obviously, as far as the position in the table is concerned. And um, the yeah, uh, this is a great way to start that series of matches, uh, especially against a team like Red Bull, um, whom we're battling for the uh, top two, three spots. Um, it's going to be an important. Uh, it's going to be an important match against them, and um, this says a little something about Bayer Leverkusen, their intent, and their. Uh, it's a statement game, so I'm happy. Uh, yeah, happy with the result. Final question, Eric. How important was it for for your team to keep the likes of uh, you know Gladbach, Freiburg, and uh, Frankfurt at bay? Because obviously those teams are. are right behind you or we're starting to get right behind you and start chasing you for for a spot in the Champions League yeah this victory uh, is extremely important uh, in terms of keeping other teams at bay and I think you can see that uh, the fourth through sixth positions right now are fighting for uh, you know teams are fighting for those positions and you have teams like um, Dortmund, Gladbach, Frankfurt, but also Wolfsburg and, um, excitingly, uh, Union Berlin as well. So, um, the more that Bayer Leverkusen can do to pull away from that kind of pot of teams, um, the better it looks for us and our chances to play Champions League football, um, next year. So, uh, important victory can't really be overstated. I'm super happy with the result. All right, thank you, Eric. Let's turn to Augsburg against Bayern. Well, Terry, there wasn't really an awful lot of excitement there, was there? Well, well, a 1-0 win for Bayern Munich. I mean, Bayern Munich keeping a clean sheet. So, I mean, that I would say is exciting. And Augsburg have proved to be, in the past, something of a bogey team for Bayern Munich. Not really, but... Um, yeah, you can see that I'm struggling here to find anything exciting to say. I do feel bad about it sometimes because whenever I come on talking football, I always end up talking an awful lot about Dortmund um, and, and rarely reflect that much on, on Bayern. And it is a little bit difficult because obviously they win all the time. 
And so as, you know, you know, Bundesliga heads would perhaps try to tend to focus on the other stories. Uh, but actually, in fairness, in this case, uh, you know, I don't think there's a great deal for us to react to at this point without having done a, a full rewatch and analysis of this game. But it is obviously a tremendous three points for Bayern insofar as they've got a clean sheet. It keeps them keeps them definitely as favourites to, to win the Bundesliga title, which I'm sure they probably will. Yeah, and that's and well in that in that sense it's, it's probably a good thing in terms of the excitement the league that uh, RB Leipzig won tonight. Because obviously if they'd lost, it would have gotten a lot worse because your boys, Dortmund, they're they're ten points behind now, aren't they? Yeah, the Dortmund are going to win the title. And I think, in fairness, that's I, I don't think there are too many people who find that a controversial statement. And if I'd said that six weeks ago, I don't think people would have found that a terribly controversial statement. So, so no, I think for Dortmund, it's all about top four. Uh, I mean, what, we're, what we're interested in here is whether or not there's going to be a title race. Um, and, and if there is, then Leipzig are going to have a, 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 a big role to play in it. And, and, this was a, and so it's important for them that they won against a, a good opposition. Well, there you go. Excellent. Uh, let's turn to the first match that the Tuesday night had on offer. Borussia Mönchengladbach against Werder Bremen. And let's turn to you, Manuel Breyer from the Fall Router podcast. Well, the Foles didn't necessarily have the best of times between matches as they needed to drop Real and Bolo from their squad. At first, Germany's biggest tabloid paper, uh, Bild, ran a sensational story claiming that he was at a party with 50 lightly dressed women shisha pipes surrounding them and that the police had to break up said party the striker himself denied those allegations in an Instagram post and said that he was at a mate's place just to watch the basketball there was a lot of confusion regarding what happened Uh, what do you make of the incident and did Gladbach miss him on the pitch against Werder and what is the latest regarding uh, what we know about Embolo's whereabouts on that fateful evening there's been a lot of back and forth uh, when it comes to that Yeah, Gladbach in the headlines, in the news these last couple of days, really. Starting on the weekend with the VAR decision that was fiercely debated on on Sunday. But by Monday, the only topic was Braille and Bolo around the Werder game. Well, him being dropped, of course, was a big issue for uh, Marco Rose's team as um, they've already have uh, two on suspension. Player not really fit. He started the game, but he doesn't look like he's uh, currently uh, a 90-minute go-to striker. Um, We could have really made use of uh, Braille and Bolo for this match however he was out as a result of whatever happens on saturday night or sunday early hours in the morning um where the police stated well he attended this party built a tabloid newspaper ran the story as well there was a bit of back and forth um recent news had it that um built a shot a story where he climbed uh, across or over the roof uh, to get into a nearby apartment where he was found all by himself which the police actually confirmed on wednesday uh, casting doubt on embolo's statement he made towards the club and uh, officially on Instagram on Monday night that he did not attend a party and just uh, went to see uh, his friend to watch basketball together. However, it is still unclear what actually happened in the premise on the premises, uh, what happened in the party rooms or in this area. So there may have been still um, a sort of a white lie or correct assumption here by Abolo to say that I technically did not attend a party. As before, the club will know he discussed this with Rosa, with Abel and also his teammates who were very adamant, very clear on uh, Tuesday night after the Werder fixture um, that they will talk to Mbolo further and, and, and have a firm word with him that this is a no-go because whatever happened in detail, it is clear that he did go out on a Saturday night in these times, breach Corona rules um, and uh, yeah, as a part of the team council, he's uh, number three behind Captain Lars Stindl, uh, the skipper and uh, of course course um, Jan Sommer who's in there um, who also said that he will have a word with Mbolo um, it's it's really a, a stupid or a silly decision uh, to do so um, the club as now will proceed and uh, fine, put him into the squad for the Dortmund game on Friday um, as it stands um, I think everything else is really up to the club because they will know the whole extent of the story um, they stick to uh, Mbolo at this moment built is further um, the tabloid newspaper is full of shooting at Mbolo um, Casting doubt on his character, uh, quite nasty ad hominem attacks uh, coming in after the story on Wednesday. Um, but as for now, I do not see any further um, repercussions for Mbolo. And in any case, this would come from the club as it stands now. 
Well, with their Swiss striker missing in action, Gladbach found it difficult to get into the match. Lars Stindl was on the bench too, which must have been a pleasant surprise for Werder. Uh, 1-0 in the end after a header goal by Nico Elvedi. What do you make of this win? An unusual Gladbach performance in that they did not create many chances, which they usually do, and they did not concede, which they also <laughs> usually do. Um, the, only the third time they kept a clean sheet this season against Leipzig and, and Bielefeld. And in the match against Werder, you could see that the front four with a player leading uh, a striker, and behind that we had Hermann, uh, Hannes Wolf and Jonas Hofmann. Um, did not play together many times uh, in this setup this season. Um, they were lacking creativity. They were lacking depth in, in their attacking football. A uh, player really doesn't look back at his sort of Champions League level we've seen in October. He's been on and off with injuries. Here, of course, much needed to, would have been much uh, needed to have someone like Turam or someone like Mbolo uh, to maybe uh, lead the line together with him. Um, this was not the case and therefore Gladbach did really not create many chances. Werder at the same time did well to, to close the center. Um, Freya Nohes did not have many passing opportunities to set up uh, the strikers I just named. And uh, well, with, you know, time, time uh, proceeding Proceeding in the game, uh, Werder looked the more dangerous side. Uh, after 20-25 minutes, they loosened up their very defensive organization and um, came through on the on the wing with his probing run. Sargent was keeping the ball up. Uh, Schmidt had this wonderful uh, opportunity with a volley shot, and they could have gone one 0 up at halftime. And I think at some point, any Gladbach supporter felt that well, this may be decided today through a set piece. Nico Alvedi had a good uh, headache opportunity just three or four minutes into the game, and. It was Nico Evedi who then um, set up by Laszlo Benes, who came on, um, delivered a nice set piece and free kick, um, and he um, and uh, Evedi then escaped Sargent's uh, marking and scored the winner, which was a much needed w victory for Gladbach um, and quite unusual again to close on this. In the season, has uh, Gladbach has dropped so many points from one nil leads, and it's only two times a season in the entire Hinrunde that they did not go one nil up, uh, and that was against Dortmund and Hertha Berlin, and. Yeah, so many times they dropped the points, which uh, yesterday I think is a good sign of development for the team. Just hold on to that lead on a day where nothing much works um, in their attacking flow and attacking uh, uh, forward thinking uh, ways of playing. But um, you get the three points, and and therefore I think it was it was uh, a lesson learned and a good way forward for Gladbach. Even before this match, Gladbach had started to become the most unpredictable side in the Bundesliga in terms of results. At times, the foes can win 3-2 against brilliant opposition like Bayern. And at other times, they lose against an out-of-form Hoffenheim and drop two points against Hertha. Why has Gladbach's form been this topsy-turvy so far this season? I think it pretty much depends how you define form. Uh, arguably, Gladbach had been in form for most of the Bundesliga matches. They've only been comprehensively beaten by Borussia Dortmund on match day one, 3-0. And any other match was up for grabs. Uh, Gladbach even taking lead in most of the matches. And um, they've simply conceded too many goals, uh, not being able to hold on to these leads, and uh, need a lot of opportunities to score a second goal or score a goal in general. Um, and uh, the underlying problem here was uh, that especially in November and December you could see that there was a fatigue creeping into the squad uh, they had to go full throttle at the Champions League group stage matches uh, no surprise there with the likes of Donetsk uh, Inter Milan and Real uh, to be faced and um, they couldn't allow to rotate the squad and Matthias Ginter plays most minute of any field play in the Bundesliga including the goalkeepers in 2020 and uh, Stevie Leiner and uh, Nicolvedi are up there as well with most minutes played and it really showed so he, they couldn't really show um, their performance at 100%. Um, that, that said now the Hinrunde is over 28 points uh, in close uh, contact with the Champions League with the Europa League spots. I think that's a very good result. Um, we can only speculate what would have happened had they uh, kept these uh, all these leads with these 18 points being dropped. Um, but most of all, um, we should be able to uh, show more flexibility um, with the attacking players. Turam is coming back. Mbolo is back, of course, from his one match ban. Hopefully, if it tests negative. And then uh, the Rückrunde is all there. Gladbach now facing Dortmund and Union Berlin. Two great matches uh, to kick off the Rückrunde. And um, especially the return of Jonas Hofmann 
Hoffmann and Rami Benzebaini, who were out for injury and uh, a positive COVID test um, for a long time in, in November and December, these sort of darker month of Gladbach's Bundesliga performance, will boost the team. Jonas Hoffmann had an immediate impact. And this is just the, the little differences where Gladbach may be able now to get three points more often and um, not concede that many goals and, yeah, uh, convert more of the chances up front um, to get back to that uh, goal-scoring machine there were at times under Mark Rose in the first season. All right. Thanks a lot, Manuel Breyer from the Fall Writer Podcast. We'll be taking a little break from the conference and when we'll be back, uh, we'll be back with Reese Tickwell and me to rescue a couple of matches from Oblivion. Stay tuned for that. Here we are mid-show and once again it's time to rescue matches from Oblivion. This time around Reese Tickwell is going to rescue not one but two matches from Oblivion and uh, Reese, where, where do you want to start? Yeah, I think we should start in um, uh, Mainz this this week in the uh, English Rocker. They lost 2-0 last night against uh, Wolfsburg, who were the better team actually of Wolfsburg for, for the most part of the game and I'd, I'd say they deserve their win. I think the difference was that Wolfsburg um, were clinical in front of goal. I mean, there was only two shots on target in the whole of the game, both of which fell to Wolfsburg. And uh, both of them were scored by, by Bielek and, and Weghorst. So when we talked about Mainz on our Patreon page with uh, Michael Ebert, who's the kicker journalist covering the team, he said that, um, A, it's looking bleak. Mainz are probably going to go down. B, they might have to sell Mateta if they want to bring in anybody else during this transfer window. So point number B has become true and uh, point number C, bringing in somebody else, Dominic Kaur has arrived. So what, what do you make of all of these developments? Yeah, so Mateta is obviously going to be heading off on an 18-month loan deal um, for, a, for a small upfront fee, I think, of 3 million euros. He's obviously heading to Crystal Palace um, and they've got an obligation to buy Mateta to 15 million euros if and when the Frenchman plays 15 Premier League games, which is highly likely that he will. I think it's going to be a huge miss for mine who have only scored 15 league goals this current campaign. And Mateta has got seven of them. So now that that leaves them with Onisiwo and, and Burkhart up front, who both of which started last night. And they've only got one goal each this season. They've got other options in, in G on the bench, but he hasn't scored in the Bundesliga this season. And neither has uh, Adam Zalloy. So, I mean, things are not looking great in that avenue. I think the main the main thing is they're missing the goals now of, of Kwaizom, who seems to have fallen off the radar this season. I mean, um, he had that fantastic campaign last season where I think he scored 13 Bundesliga goals. So I think definitely something they need to bring in. In, the, in this window yeah definitely definitely and uh, given that they needed money to uh, to make those signings as Michael Ebert put it um, that 3 million euro fee is not really making a lot of sense in that regard because uh, 3 million euros uh, once you've subtracted agent fees and all that there's not going to be an awful lot left uh, for the club I mean Mateta probably one of the better earners though um but that in itself is not going to generate an awful lot of, you know, awful lot of uh, possibilities for Christian Heidel and Martin Schmidt to to act on the transfer market. Well, now that you've seen Mainz uh, under under Bo Svensson, do you think that he's changed anything tactically? Do you think that they are going places, or is it still same old, same old? I think it's a case of at the moment, at least. I think it's a case of new man, same old Mainz. Really, I think that. To say it's going to be an uphill struggle for Mainz it really is an understatement. They've still only won one Bundesliga game this season. And especially with Köln's win tonight, they're now really in danger of being cut adrift from the rest of the pack alongside Schalke, who no doubt we'll go and speak about later. Yeah, because Schalke and Köln squared off in a relegation six-pointer on Wednesday night. That is a smooth transition to our next match, Reese. Both of us watched that and... Um, for a very long time, it looked like it was going to be a 1-1 draw, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. And I think Schalke played very well tonight. I think they were unlucky not to have got something from th this game. They had lots of chances in front of goal. 
um, but they just seemed to lack the end product um, when they needed it most. And of course, this game was a perfect opportunity, uh, given that three of the clubs around them last night, Werder, obviously Hertha and, and Mainz, who we just discussed, all lost. Um, and I think as well, this game didn't look like to the two clubs who were short of confidence and goals. Um, but of course, it was won by a fantastic moment for Timor, who won the game in stoppage time and uh, broke Schalke hearts once again. And I think it's really quite amazing. I know it's happened so many times this season, but how Schalke managed to actually lose that game is, is quite uh, yeah, amazing, really. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. During the week, I, I sort of started writing questions or topics we could talk about for, for this match. And I mean, there was one name that popped up time and time again, and that was Klaas-Jan Huntelaar. He is now obviously back at the club. Uh, from what you've seen so far of Schalke this season, you've seen them a couple of times for, for our podcast at least. Uh, do, do, do you think that he's going to make a difference for them going forward? I think he could. I think, if anything, he's going to provide this, this sort of a similar thing that Ibrahimovic has provided at, at Milan in that although he's 37 years old now um, and they're obviously certainly going to need him to fire goals in the way that he did in his early Schalke days, um, I think he's going to act as more of a, a a manager on the pitch, if you like, and sort of lift the dressing room in what is a, a very young team. Um, and it seems to be at the moment when when Schalke go a goal down, obviously we didn't see that today, but for the most part when Schalke go a goal down, the heads drop. And that's where the problems seem to come out. Although it is the most exciting and surprising news of the window so far, I think it's going to take a minor miracle to get out of this mess, to be honest. Yeah, and I was, I was just going to say as well that it's, it's quite funny because it seems like all the old faces are returning. Obviously, first we had Kalasinat, now Hunterlar. There's rumours and lots of talk that Maximilian Meyer could be heading back to the club. Sort of left me thinking, who next? I was wondering if Farfan would be the next person on his way back, who, of course, is a free agent after even locomotive at the end of last season. <laughs> yeah, and what's Lewis Holtby doing these days, eh? <laughs> um, well, what, one thing that struck me as well, though, there has been a lot of talk about Huntelaar for, for quite some time now. But during that time, Schalke actually found out that they had a young player who's only 19 years old who can score five goals in three matches. And Matthew Hoppe. Uh, how do you see him working out for them uh, in the next few matches. Do you think he's going to get a chance alongside Huntelard? I mean, he could play in midfield as well. I mean, he's he's naturally, actually, he came as a midfielder to, to the Knappenspiel after all. So do you think he's going to play alongside? Is he playing in midfield or is he going to drop to the bench? Yeah, that's right. He did actually start out as a number 10, as you mentioned, before being moved further forward. Um Interesting article I read actually recently in um, The Athletic was that he's sort of a player who's gone under the radar for most of his career. But his movement is fantastic and he looks so clinical in front of goal. I think he will get a chance because obviously Huntelaar is 37, so he's not going to be able to play 90 minutes every match. There's also the option to play two up front. And forwards and goals is what Schalke are lacking at the moment. And with Paciencia injured and Rahman lacking goals, then I think he will get a chance. All right. Uh, now that you've seen the terrors and horrors of, of the relegation dogfight, what are your predictions going forward for the, both of these teams that we've discussed now, Mainz and Schalke? Are they, are they doomed? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, think, I think if anyone can get out, it'll be Schalke. But I think Mainz are doomed. I think it'll be Mainz and Bielefeld would be definitely two of the three teams to make up the the three. And if if it's not Schalke, I think it be, could be Köln. But on the basis of just how Schalke keep throwing things away, even when they're in great positions like tonight, um, I think it could be Schalke as well, which is would be extremely sad to see for the German football. All right, indeed. Uh, Rhys, thanks for coming on and rescuing those two matches from oblivion. Thank you. Well, here's part two of Talking Foosball. Uh, Terry Fallon, as we just discussed, both sides at the bottom of the table, they lost. What's your take on them? Are Schalke and Mainz doomed now? I, I, I think largely just out of sheer... Uh, 
bias of the fact that Schalke are such a huge club and that they do have uh, players, you know, for me, I think they've got the kind of players that can get them out of that, that I, I, I refuse to entirely believe that Schalke will be relegated, even though all the evidence <laughs> suggests that they will be. Uh, I mean, losing losing to Köln was was a, was a, was a very, very bad scene. And uh, I mean, we were, we were all, we're, all of us are deeply resentful of Hoffenheim for them blowing the chance that they had of, 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 of getting that winless streak so that us Dortmund fans could have held it over their heads, Schalke's heads for eternity. Uh, and uh, we'll never forget the role that they played in denying us that, that, that exquisite schadenfreude. Um, but they haven't really shown any kind of, I don't know, they, don't, they haven't really suggested to me that, that, that they're going to improve massively and the results haven't either. But, you know, they are still Schalke and, and there's an element of it that you just don't, don't quite get saying that it, they're not like Hamburg who kind of like for years jammed their way in this division and managed to hang on I've got a feeling that if Schalke do go down it'll go down big Mainz have obviously lost Mateta who was not featuring massively for them in the last few games but I suspect that might well be because they knew he was going there have been question marks about his attitude and that perhaps he kind of wanted away but they're going to miss those goals uh, and it's difficult to imagine what they're going to do to be able to replace him. Uh, so I, I think that we could probably say that Mainz are, you know, are really going to, you know, re- Mainz can be really thinking about getting promotion back into the back into the Bundesliga next season, um, uh, and, and start thinking about that uh, because yeah, I, I think for them it's going to be tough. All right, uh, let's then move on in our conference uh, and let's go to Hertha against Hoffenheim. Let's talk to you, Matt Herman, who had the somewhat dubious pleasure of watching Hertha take on Hoffenheim in the relegation six-pointer. Now, Matt, both coaches were on thin ice going into this match, but given Hoffenheim's 3-0 win, it must clearly mean that Bruno Labbadier is in awful lot of trouble right now how much longer is he going to stay in charge of that team and what is currently going on on the pitch for Herder? tell me nick everything everything is going wrong on the pitch and and really to be fair off the pitch as well although we'll get to that later maybe you know this is a game that you know on on on, on the surface you could look at and say wasn't so bad from Hertha. I mean, this was a game that they probably had the better chances in. If you look at the XG or whatever you want to, if they, you can see that they had a lot more possession in this game. The first goal that uh, Hoffenheim got kind of came out of the blue. But when you look at the trend over the last, I don't know how many games, like uh, six games, let's say, everything is going in a negative direction. You know, I was singing a pretty calm, like softly, softly, let's be patient kind of a tune, as was the club, to be fair, uh, for for the first part of this season. I mean, after, I don't know what, match day 11, Hertha were on, I think, 15 points and were solidly mid-table. There was no crisis going on. That was after the the draw, the 1-1 draw versus Gladbach. And basically ever since then, when we were all looking for Hertha to pick up points against a bunch of crap teams, um, they're just not doing it. They got uh, a win over over Schalke, who you know were still in their absolutely horrible phase, and a couple of draws against Mainz and Cologne, both goalless draws. And in that stretch, all of the positive work that that we were hoping to see them make, you know, I, I can't say that they were doing well before that, but they were doing okay. There's been no progress. In fact, there has been regression. You know, other than that one game against Schalke when they got three goals, um, I think Hertha have scored a grand total of one goal in those other five games. They scored one goal against uh, Freiburg. You know, people are not producing at the attacking end. Uh, we saw today in the game, <laughs> you know, Christoph Piontek missed a penalty, and I don't mean missed in that he missed the target. He put it on target, but it was a terrible penalty. It was, you know, it was low and not anywhere near the corner. It was a very easy penalty to save for for Oliver Baumann. You had John Cordoba, you know, not putting away both easy chances and tougher chances, like his his bicycle kick, which kind of got scuffed. You know, you have a lot of giveaways in midfield. Uh, 
Mateus Cunha, who obviously is Hertha's best player and does a lot of good things, also has a pretty bad tendency to, um, you know, give away some pretty uh, dangerous balls. It was he was lucky not to, uh, you know, create a, a better chance for Hoffenheim on a, on an occasion or two in this game, and also the defense is not working either. There seems to be pretty significant communication problems and or sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know. Division of labor, let's just say, Rollenverteilung uh, problems. I mean, the first goal that uh, Sebastian Rudy scored uh, against Hoffenheim kind of resulted from uh, a miscommunication, it seems, between Omar Alderete and uh, Maxi Mittelstedt. Um, the second goal was a bunch of ball watching from the team. I, I mean, I know that. You know the shot from distance that came. I think was was I think it was Kasim Adams. Um, you know, a really really you know spicy <laughs> shot coming in, which uh, Andre Kramaric is one of the few players who has sort of the the, the ball skills to actually accept that ball. To sort of you know his first touch was good enough to him basically stop that ball dead and put it in on the turn. But like, there's no reason why he should ever have been that free in the penalty area. There's there's problems picking up players in, in really simple situations. Third goal, you know, I can't really blame the defense for that. Just direct free kick, took an unlucky uh, deflection. Maybe Shvolov uh, could have done better with it. But basically everybody in, in almost all phases of the game are underperforming for this team. And uh, there's a lot of problems to go around. There was a bit of a discussion on Twitter after Berlin Journal pointed out that the money the club had received from last winter had been spent on expensive players, but that the club had at the same time sold off loyal players who were leaders on and off the pitch. Does Hertha's perform this season boil down to the lack of leading figures on the pitch? Or are there other reasons for Hertha struggling at the bottom end of the table despite having spent millions and millions and millions of euros on the transfer market over the last two seasons. Yeah, I, I do have some worries about the the, the leadership uh, issues on the pitch. I mean, obviously, when you lose out on, on a number of players who had played at the club for a good, you know, six, seven years or more in some cases, you know, Vida Dabisovic, Solomon Kalou, Thomas Kraft, uh, Per Shellbred, I mean, not all of them were were nailed on starters in every game, at least not in the last couple of years. But these were all guys who have a lot of Bundesliga experience under their belt and who were generally pretty vocal on the pitch and, and well, <laughs> other than Kalu, and, and, and who sort of commanded a certain amount of respect. In general, that has not been replaced. Um, there are signs that, uh, you know, the likes of Matteo Gendouzi, if he were to stick around, fingers crossed, but not, not the way things are going now, might be able to sort of grow into a role like that. And Mateusz Cunha has had his ups and downs and has, you know, come under some criticism for his his on-pitch demeanor. But I think he he has the potential of being an on-pitch leader in the future, but he's not there yet. And and the people who, who would seem are meant to be doing that right now, I mean, Dedrick Boyata is hurt. He's not playing. He's not the loudest guy. Um, Nicholas Stark is the sort of putative leader. Uh, I personally don't like the way he operates on the pitch personality-wise at all. He shows a lot of uh, frustration with, you know, his his fellow players. He doesn't seem to, um, you know, take a lot of chances uh, on the ball. And I feel like his presence is kind of a downer, kind of a, a negative um, thought process that, that, that flows throughout the team. Um, I didn't like particularly his comments after this game, trying to sort of um, – be relative about how this game had gone and really emphasize the 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 the, the phases of dominance that that Hertha had but really i look at what's happening with the team leadership wise and i just think you know this team has not been put together properly and that goes back to Michel Breitz he's been in charge for 11 years at Hertha they've been 11 pretty spotty years they include two two uh you know relegations of course uh and you look at just his track record over the last several transfer windows, and really, in my mind, the only players that you can look at as as really rousing successes are Mateusz Cunha and, you know, the aforementioned Matteo Gendouzi. I, I don't think that um, 
I'm ready to give up on everybody just yet, but there are definitely some real, some real sort of iffy purchases in there. Um, purchases that sort of reflect um, Michel Preitz's uh, inability to get his head around what the new project is. The new project is not to go around uh, looking for diamonds in the rough or, or bargains or, you know, sort of value propositions. It, it's out to get the best players that you can, you know, get the best deal, of course. But if you're looking at a really top-level player, um, don't be afraid of paying a little bit more on the transfer market. And especially don't be afraid of paying high wages. I look, and I don't want to necessarily say that this is, uh, these are precisely the players that I would want. But you look at, you know, Hertha's flirtations with people like Julian Draxler or Mario Goetze. Yeah, we can debate whether these specific guys would have helped. We can debate whether they're sort of past their best. But, you know, <laughs> let's not be stupid here. They're they're good. Um, they're probably better than anyone Hertha has other than Cunha and maybe Gendouzi. They would walk into the team. We'd figure it out. But we got scared off because, you know, they make a ton of money. And you know what? If you want to be a good team, if you want to be a team that makes the the Europa League or Champions League on the regular, you got to pay players who want you got to pay a ton of money to players who expect to be paid a ton of money. You just do it. You don't go, you know, around buying your Omar Alderetes and uh, Deovacio Zefaux uh, because you think you might be able to sort of, uh, you know, sort of, you know, polish them up and do something with them down the line. It's not going to get you anywhere. Um so anyway, yeah, but long story short, yeah, leadership is a problem, but the big problem is who's buying the players, Michel Preitz. I mean, I think Bruno Labbadia's fate is probably sealed sooner or later, uh, but, you know, Michel Preitz is the guy who's got to go because he doesn't really have a plan, and we need a plan right now. Um, I would love it if we got Ralf Rangnick to do both sporting director and coaching. I would love it if we could get a real coach, a coach, top-level coach, you know, Thomas Tuchel or, you know, Lucien Favre, who, of course, had great success here. But uh, nobody of that caliber is coming as long as Preitz is in place. So, yeah, we're screwed. All right. Thank you, Matt Herman. Talk to you next weekend, I suppose. Terry, what do you make of the, the teams above Schalke and uh, uh, Mainz then? Um, who's in the most trouble right now? It's despite the fantastic result that they have, you do have to wonder whether or not Bielefeld have the squad depth to see their way through. They certainly have the spirit and the desire, and they have the team spirit and cohesion. Uh, you know that that they have all the things that a lot of the, of the qualities that Hertha, but for example, lack. Um, and uh, and I, I I would really very much like I think as an underdog, you want them you want them to do well, but you'd have to worry over the longer term whether they would would have enough. Um, especially since my ludicrous idea that Schalke may yet survive. To despite the evidence of my own eyes, um, it comes off, then then someone else would have to go down as well. I do fear for Verda. Uh, I, 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 one, because I just like to see the look of horror on your face when I say that. But also, um, you know, I, I, I mean, in fairness, they, I watched them, the game yesterday as we were recording this and they did play well. They were unlucky. They could have, they could have, could have got an equaliser against Gladbach, no problem. Um, but I, 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 you have to fear for them that every year this happens and they just don't, they just don't seem to have, you know, enough to get themselves away from, from safety and you do have to wonder. But I don't know, I think we probably should really be talking about who's going to get that playoff spot. Um, and I would say that really anybody all the way up to Hoffenheim should probably be worried at this point. But it is worth bearing in mind that we're what not even ha we're about halfway through or just before halfway through, so there's there's time yet. All right, um, you mentioned Amini Bielefeld there, but they, they had a kind of a very big result this weekend, didn't they? And a massive result, massive result, three nil winners against Stuttgart. That's a fantastic result. So unfortunately, we didn't watch the game; we were watching the other game, but. Um, Let's just say Fabian Klaus got a goal, uh, Dohan got a goal. Uh, two fantastic players that make the Bundesliga, enrich the Bundesliga. Dohan with his um, talent and technique and uh, vision for the game. Absolute terrific player. And Fabian Klaus, just because he used to play in the seventh or eighth tier of German football. And that is, you know, having a player who isn't <laughs> educated by an academy and who has managed to get in the Bundesliga at the age of 32. 
yeah, that is really special to to all of us. Um, finally, let's turn to the last match that we haven't mentioned, and let's turn to you, Brian Sanders, who followed the two-two draw between Freiburg and Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, to start matters off, actually, um, we had a listener question uh, from Vega Grandum, who was wondering. What has happened to Martin Hinteregger and Philipp Kostic's goal production this season? Now, last season, the Austrian centre-back scored eight. Kostic scored four times. But, you know, this season, both of them are on precisely zero goals. Why is that? How can that be? Not really gotten off to a fine start this year for Kostic. Uh... He had injury, then, of course, uh, gain suspension. Not exactly uh, been back to his full force uh, of last season, but uh, after the long line of draws, uh, that's something that we're starting to see a little bit again as Eintracht is getting more positive results in the most recent matches. Saying it's kind of going for Hinteregger. Uh, with him getting a few knocks on the head, starting to kind of wonder if a concussion protocol is... Uh, keeping him from uh, going all in when it comes to set pieces and scoring from there. Now, both sides are currently in a position in the table that would suggest that they could be in the running for the European spot this season. Now, the match ended 2-2 with uh, Frankfurt taking the lead before Zalai and Pettersen got Freiburg into the lead and then a Schlotterbeck own goal got the Game back to level pegging. Uh, but, Brian, you watched the match and tell us which of those two sides looked more likely to qualify for Europe during those 90 minutes at the Schwarzwald Stadion. So, uh, with the result that we had today, for me, I definitely would say that uh, Eintracht is looking more likely to qualify for Europe for the 90 minutes because I keep on thinking that Freiburg is eventually going to tail off, but Eintracht has got a really good run of matches that will allow for Eintracht to finish in the uh, top six for uh, this season. And if I do have to say so myself, I do believe that uh, this run-in, you're going to see Eintracht floating right up into the very top of the table, and we will see what uh, we will see uh, come the end of match day 34. Excellent. Thank you, Brian Sanders. Uh, Terry, uh are you getting excited about the race for Europe? Uh, yes, of course, always. Uh, I, as a Dortmund fan, I'm deeply concerned about which league Dortmund they'll be playing in, whether or not it will be the Champions League or the Europa League, or indeed any of uh, either of those ones. But yeah, it's 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 a it's because it's a bit of a topsy turvy season because of COVID and because there's so little time. I mean, we are seeing some interesting results and some interesting, you know, with dips in form and, and rises in form. You know, it's 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 good to see. I know they they didn't win today, but it is good to see Eintracht sort of like you know getting getting back in amongst that conversation. Uh, and uh, yeah, I am uh, definitely on board for the rest of the season. I don't want Union to qualify for Europe though. That's all for this edition of Talking Football, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. Great to have you on the pod, Terry. Where can folks find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Terry DeFellin at Twitter, or you can find me on Bundesberg at Twitter as well. <laughs> or at Sainsbury's shopping craft beer, presumably. Uh, I know, I'm, I've moved house and uh, I now live next, very close to a little, so you'll find me in the little at Shoreham by Sea. Every Saturday morning. Every Saturday morning. The little man. <laughs> the little. Well, uh, thanks again to all the pundits who joined us on the podcast. Uh, it's truly been a lot of delight to put together a Talking Foosball conference. We'll link to all of their Twitter accounts in a tweet. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Normusings. And don't forget to listen to Talking Foosball's historic Match Day Moment series on our Patreon page, which we hope you'll consider supporting. If you want to contact us collectively, please follow at Talking Foosball on Twitter. Please do subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcast, And, you know, tell a friend about us. Until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Tschüss.